You've heard Rex Barney give that fan a contract. Now it's time to give that fan a podcast. Dive into some Orioles baseball talk with your host, Ryan Blake. Welcome back to Give That Fan a Podcast. It's been a little bit of a hiatus, but I'm very excited to be back. I've got a couple of my dear friends with me on tonight's episode. Uh, former like, former Orioles Uncensored writers, do you, did, did Dylan, do you do Utah Street Report or you try to do Utah Street Report? What's what's going on with you guys? I am technically with Utah Street Report, but, but I'm on a little bit of a hiatus myself with a lot of personal life uh, getting in the way here. And Danny, you're a, a former blogger because you have bigger things to worry about now. Is that true? I don't know about bigger, just different. You're going to Scotland in a few weeks. Not no, a few, few, few months. months. Few yeah. Months. Yeah. Which is sad because I won't be able to watch the Orioles. That's true. Is oh, that speaking, of, speaking of watching the Orioles, my uh, my first training shift on my uh, my new job. So I'm I'm a video scout for Sports Info Solutions up in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And uh, we had our first like training game today where we were each randomly assigned a different game. And they don't even know I'm Orioles fans, but I got an Orioles-Mets game from September 1st of last year. Pat Vileka four-hit game. What a way to start off. <laughs> That's a perfect way to start it off, yes. It really is. So we're going to dive into some prospect talk. We're going to talk a little bit about Camden Yards. We're going to preview some of the guests I have coming up on the show. But I'm sure you all have been waiting very anxiously for the return of uh, Give That Fan a Podcast. Uh, life got in the way, and we took a little extended break, but we're back. And uh, let's go ahead and talk about some baseball. We'll try to steer the conversation clear of the Eagles because we don't want to make too much fun of you, Dylan. <laughs> oh, God. You mentioned it. we just talk about Carson Wentz the whole time. I opened that can of worms myself. That's on me. Hey, Danny, name five quarterbacks in the NFL that are worse than Carson Wentz. Mm. <laughs> Starting quarterback. Taylor Hurst. Oh, no. Oh. Oh. <laughs> you went there. Dude, I, I, I think Hurst is – Hurts. Hurst. I think Hayden Hurst. Hurts. Jalen Hurts. I think he's solid. I like him. He's Lamar Jr. I, 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 to be honest, I didn't watch a single Eagles game. I just know he's on the Eagles. That's why I said him. <laughs> <laughs> he took Carson Wentz's job, what, week 13, something like that, Dylan? Yeah, it was week, thir- yeah week 13. Sounds about right. Yeah, it's uh, it's been it's been a rough time being an Eagles fan. Yeah, I get it. It's, it's terrible. Ravens finally got our playoff win and then lost the next week. It's gonna be Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson trying to dethrone Patrick Mahomes for the next decade. So we will see how that goes. Good luck with that. Yeah. Um. So a couple recent transactions. Um. The Orioles, of course, designated for assignment both Hanser Alberto and Renato Nunez. I guess Hanser was not tendered, but. Same kind of deal. Neither of them are on the team anymore. They were free agents for a little bit. Both of them now back on minor league deals with uh, Hanser Alberto on the Kansas City Royals, Renato Nunez on the Detroit Tigers. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, there's a reason that those guys were on the market for so long and why they were only able to sign minor league deals. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, it's listen, they were both very much fan favorites during 
dark time Oriole baseball. I mean, every metric you can look at with Hunter Alberto suggests that he really shouldn't have been doing as well as he was, but nobody really cared because he was just a lot of fun. But I mean, he was a decent second baseman and he apparently hit 400 against lefties. So people just loved him all over the place. But realistically, he's just going to be a platoon utility infielder type. And really a lot of people were upset at the Orioles for calling them cheap and everything like that. But really them signing minor league deals elsewhere kind of just shows they're not really worth that money. Danny, you emphatically shook your head no when Dylan said he's a good second baseman. Oh, he's not a good defender. He's slow. He can't move. He he does one thing well, right? He makes he makes really good contact, and he's elite at making contact. Doesn't make hard contact, but he doesn't strike out. Which is why the Royals, I think, probably signed him because there's some value there. But the way the game's going, you have to be able to play multiple positions. You have to be able to bring more than one skill set. So the Orioles getting rid of him, it makes perfect sense, especially for a team of three building with a bunch of guys on the way who can play multiple positions. So you can't keep a guy who can't play defense and doesn't provide anything at the plate. So it wasn't cheap. It's just smart baseball. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's the right move personally. I mean... You know, like Dylan said, you got to have some bright spots to root for when a team is as bad as the Orioles have been the last couple of years. And Alberto and Nunez were fun guys to root for. You know, Alberto hit almost 400 against lefties one year. Nunez showed, you know, 30, 40 home run potential. Um, but it just didn't come together. And, and Nunez is the kind of guy who is a dime a dozen these days where he brings you power and literally nothing else. Yeah, I, I, I would totally have to agree with that. I mean, out of these two minor league deals, I feel like Nunez has the chance to make the most of the opportunity. I mean, Alberto, he's got people in front of him as far as like Nicky Lopez with Merrifield if he decides to go back to the infield. But he's got people in front of him competing for a job, whereas Nunez to Detroit, that first base spot is kind of just open for him because Miguel Cabrera literally can't stand on the field anymore. But, I mean, Nunez has the most to make a, a of his opportunity, but he's going to have to show to be more than just a one-trick pony. Speaking think, of Whit Merrifield, Danny, thank you for trading him to me in our uh, in our dynasty league. But we don't have to get into that now. Go ahead. You're very welcome, and I also traded you Juan Soto, but it's fine. It's whatever. Uh, there this is isn't about Juan Soto. This is about Whit Merrifield, my starting second baseman. Uh, there is something to say for a rebuilding team to have guys who are fun that make the game watchable for your fans, but. Alberto and Nunez, one, aren't very good, and they're coming up to a point where they're going to be taking spots away from young guys. And you need to figure out if, like, Ryan Bannon can play. Or you need to find out if Jones can play. So you're not going to keep them up. But I, I actually disagree with you, though. I think uh, Alberto has a, has a stronger chance of, playing, of sticking on the club. Because I don't, I don't know how much Nunez is going to be able to play first base. He's that bad. At least Alberto, when he can get to a ball, can catch it. That is fair. I, I, I will agree with you there. But The Tigers have some guys in front of them, but I don't know if they're going to be ready by opening day. Like I doubt Isaac Paredes is going to be on that opening day roster. So um, Alberto may be able – sorry, that's the Tigers. Um, Alberto, I think, has a chance to stick around. Just because he can play second base, he can play third base. 
I think he's a good complimentary piece on that Royals team. If if I had told you three months ago that Hanser Alberto and Andrew Benintendi would be teammates in the American League Central, <laughs> what would your reaction be to that? Honestly, really not that surprising because the the uh, the Red Sox is almost are almost becoming a little bit of a laughing stock in their own right now. I mean, I the, the, time to trade Benintendi. Why not let him play out the first half of the year, see if you can get more for him? Oh, yeah, I his, agree. His value has they, never they, been they lower. Low. Absolutely. I mean, they, they they sold very very low on that attendee. I mean, you're talking about you know what people were talking about for multiple years as one of the best outfields in baseball with Ben Benintendi, Bradley, and and Mookie Betts, and now it's all gone. It's all in shambles. They were holding on by Ben Benintendi. By just a little thread and keeping one little piece of that, and now it's all gone. Do they still have Rusty Castillo? Is he still in their system? No, he's back in. Uh, I forget if he's signing Korea or Japan, but he's overseas. That's what I thought. That was that happened what a year and a half ago or so. No, this all season. Oh, all right. Well, yeah, that that Red Sox outfit of the future is uh, in the past, and it's. It, I gotta say, Dylan, you said they're they're becoming a little bit of a laughing stock, and I gotta agree with you. And as Orioles fans who have hated on the Red Sox for a very long time now, it's enjoyable that there's another team in our division that uh, fans across baseball get to poke a little fun at. Now, um, another move that the Orioles, two moves actually, kind of go hand in hand as far as I'm concerned. Um, because there was one trade that we made where we shipped away Alex Cobb and we got Jemai Jones from the uh, Los Angeles Angels, their former number one overall prospect in 2018. Um, and anytime you can get a guy that has value like that for a pitcher like Alex Cobb, uh, you've got to pull the trigger. And the only possible issue that we as Orioles fans could have with that kind of move is, well, now who's the veteran in the starting rotation? And the Orioles answered that question a week later by signing – uh, one of my favorite pitchers of my lifetime, I'm, I'm sure you guys agree, King Felix Hernandez. Um, Danny, I'll go ahead and start with you. What's what's your take on uh, essentially swapping Cobb for Hernandez in the rotation and then and then getting an extra utility piece in Jemai Jones? Yeah, I'll start with, with Jones. I mean, I like to compare this trade to the Darren O'Day-Kevin Galvin trade where the Orioles basically attached a good player to a bad salary and shed money. And now here we are a few years later where they're basically buying a prospect. A complete 180 philosophically, which I think has to do with some of the ownership transition. But it's so good to see, right? You're finally making savvy baseball moves. Jones, I like. Um, tremendous gift for Alex Cobb, who can't stay healthy. He's thrown, what, more than 70 innings, I think, once in the last three years. So he wasn't going to give you much of anything. Hopefully he does well with the Angels. That being said, signing Felix Hernandez, um, yeah, Felix Hernandez, sorry, I'm really tired. Yes. <laughs> um, signing King Felix, I, it's awesome, it's fun, and that's something you need to do, right? We, we already spoke about that. You need fun players. You just lost two fun players, you got to bring something in to expect the fan base. He didn't throw a pitch last year, and he gave up the hardest contact in baseball in 2019. He's bad. He might not break the opening day roster. <laughs> that being said, though, if he does, I'm going to watch every single inning he pitches in an Oriole uniform because he could flash some brilliance. So they better sign someone a little more reliable, I would say. 
uh, and then I'll be happy with their offseason. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd have to agree with pretty much every point you made. You, you touched on what, what I was going to say as far as the complete 180 philosophically with the Orioles. And, you know, it, it, it seemed like a, a dream that was never going to happen where the Orioles would eat some of the money on, on, on trading away a player for a prospect or anything. And they, they ate half of Cobb's remaining salary in order to acquire a valuable prospect. Now, Jamai Jones isn't valued as high as a prospect as he used to be a couple years ago, but really, I don't care. I mean, he's still valuable as a second baseman, as an outfielder. He can he can move around the field a little bit. He's got game-changing speed. He can play a little bit of defense, and he can put the bat on the ball. And he's uh, he's got a good eye at the plate. He, he can draw some walks here and there. So anything you get out of Jamai Jones is a plus. If he can become a starter, that's the best thing that, that could possibly happen for your team. But even if he can just serve as a utility piece, the trade is automatically a win. Oh, absolutely. Really good depth piece on a, on a winning team. He's a guy that can fill in, make contact, draw some walks, do something on the, do some things on the bases, like you said. And he plays multiple positions. And he's the exact kind of guy that the game's moving towards. You have to be able to play multiple positions. You have to be able to make contact. And he's athletic. So for those reasons, uh, you, you make that deal hard. Yeah, I think he's the perfect guy for this organization. Um, you know, he's a guy who for a while was a center fielder. Uh, so he, he can provide some insurance in case for some reason Austin Hayes doesn't work out too well. Um, he's a, a solid platoon option with a guy like Taron Vavra at second base. Um, and a, and a guy who, like Dylan said, has some game changing speed, solid defense. And he's, he's exactly the kind of depth piece that a rebuilding team, uh, needs. And to get that for Alex Cobb, I mean, bravo, Michael Elias. Bravo. Um, now let's go ahead and talk about kind of this. Kind of leads into what we were just go, or what we were just talking about. Kind of leads into this. I wanted to ask both of you, uh, and I'll, I'll give my answer at the end as well. Um, if the Orioles were to make one more move in terms of signing a free agent this offseason, uh, who's on your wish list, Dylan? For me, I was kind of scrolling through the free agent list earlier today, and it's really tough to narrow down to one because there's a lot of guys that are still out there that can be had on low-risk minor league deals that could really help out both the rotation, the bullpen, possibly some more depth in the infield. But one guy that kind of stuck out to me, and I know it's very, very low-risk and maybe not even breaking over the day club, but I said David Robertson. Now, David Robertson is a bullpen piece looking to get back in the majors again. Hasn't pitched since 2019 with the Phillies because of uh, all the elbow problems he's been having. But having not pitched since 2019, that just screams he's a guy that the Orioles could very much sign on a minor league deal. I'm pretty sure either today or yesterday he actually did a throwing session for clubs. So it just seems like a kind of a thing to uh, – to get some more depth in the bullpen for those. Danny, you said you're not uh, thrilled yet unless the Orioles, because uh, you said Felix Hernandez is bad, which, yeah, you're right, which is it feels weird to say, but uh, is that where you're, you're going to go with, with this right, answer? Yeah, it's not so much that he's bad, it's that he's unreliable, and the Orioles need someone to soak up some innings. So who I want them to sign, there's, there's three things. It's going to be a starting pitcher. They have to sign another starting pitcher, right? So I would... Most likely, 
uh, try to find a guy who can throw a lot of ground balls, he can throw a lot of innings, and he's got you know, trade potential when the deadline was around, right? So I looked at Brett Anderson because the guy throws a career about 57% ground balls, which is really good if you're pitching in Camden Yards. The problem with Brett Anderson is he's only thrown over 170 innings three times in his career. That's not what you want. Especially uh, the last like three years. So for those worrying Brett Anderson, another guy, same age as Anderson, 33, doesn't quite have the ground ball rate. He's under 50%, like 48, 49. So good, good enough. But he also throws about 160 innings like every year. And that's Mike Reek. So if I'm the Orioles, Mike Elias already said he's willing to give out a major league deal. Mike Leak uh, on Sport Track is valued at about $10 million, so it's a little pricey. But if you can get him on a one-year deal, I would absolutely love to go get Mike Leak. He's already traded last year, too, so you know teams value that and what he can do. We also have some money to spend. Well, they may not want to, but they clearly have the payroll to do it. If you want to go sign a major league pitcher, 33 years old, throws about 50% ground balls, and he's going to throw you 160, 170 innings at least, Mike Leak's your guy. That's a strong point. And a guy similar to Mike Leak in terms of a, a guy I was expecting on maybe a one-year deal, um, and he's unavailable, unfortunately, just signed with the, the Red Sox a couple of weeks ago, but I've had my eye on Garrett Richards this offseason. Um, he, he seems like the kind of guy that, that Mike Elias and company would have their eye on. Uh, he can spin the hell out of a fastball and a curveball. The results haven't been fantastic, but um, he, he's a guy who, you know, I think he's 30 years old, might be 31, uh, but a guy who seemed like someone who could come along and, and be a potential trade chip. You know, if we sign him to a major league deal, give him a few million, he pitches well, and you flip him at the deadline, uh, a la Tommy Malone. Um, but the guy that um, I have my eye on at the moment, and this is someone I've been begging for all offseason, um, similar to, to Dylan's answer, it's a guy who hasn't pitched in a while. He pitched a few innings last year, got hurt again. Uh, he's, he's dealt with some elbow issues, but he's still only 27, and he's had a few dominant seasons in his career. Uh, Keone Kella, relief pitcher. Um, he's a guy I think could really strengthen the bullpen. Um, I think his, his profile fits well at Camden Yards, but the main reason I'd like the Orioles to sign another relief pitcher is because I don't want to watch Cole Sulcer pitch in 2021, but I might be out of luck on that one. I don't hate Sulcer. I might be the only Orioles fan who thinks he's a decent middle reliever. I don't think he's bad, it, 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 especially for a rebuilding club. He, he he can cover some innings in the middle relief spots in the sixth inning. He can spin it a little bit. And he was yeah. he got hurt. He was trying to pitch through injuries. So I I would give him a chance. I think the bullpen's yeah. fine. I think the bullpen's the strongest part of this Orioles roster. So I'm not yeah. signing another reliever. That's that's fair. I'll let you have that one. Um all right, so we're gonna get into some prospect talk here as well. Um and the 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 big talking point on Orioles Twitter uh, these last couple days has been uh, Keith Law ranked the Orioles organization, ranked their farm system 18th in baseball. Uh, elsewhere, they are consensus top 10. Baseball America had them at their highest ranking ever at 7th in Major League Baseball. Uh, and today I told you guys that uh, Keith Law accepted my invitation to be on the podcast. I'm going to chat with him at some point next week. 
so he's he's one of the guests that I'm I'm teasing a little bit today. Um, but it, it it seemed for a while that that Keith Law has a bit of a vendetta against the Orioles for some reason. He never seems to appreciate the talent that we have. He never seems to rank us as highly as others in just about every aspect. Um, now I'm not having him on the podcast so that I can grill him about that. I'm genuinely interested in his thought process and, and how he came to that conclusion and how he decided on those rankings. But, um, what is, what is, what are your reactions to, uh, Keith Law ranking the Orioles farm system so low when the rest of baseball thinks they are on the up and up? Well, I, real quick, I can give you the reason for a possible grudge. Not that Law is professional. He doesn't want a grudge, but there is potential for a reason to have a grudge. When we were trying to go through and um, signing a uh, GM, Depoto was a name before he took the Mariners job, and he was going to clean house and bring Keith Law in. This was before we, uh, before Dan Duke. And then Angelo said, no, you're not cleaning house. So Law would have had a job, and Angelo said, So there's potential reason for a grudge. But again, Keith Law's a professional. I doubt that uh, factors into the rankings. Yeah, yeah. Even, even if he does have an underlying bone to pick with the Orioles, I mean, like you said, he's a pro and he wants his prospect rankings to be taken seriously, obviously. So he's not going to, you know, dock a team a few spots just for, for some bad blood there. Yeah. And, and, and really, Orioles fans have felt there, there was some level of a vendetta of, of law against the Orioles for years now. It's been what, probably six, seven years in running now that, that, that Orioles fans believe this. But really, there's a running theory all over the athletic and where he, he used to work at ESPN, where at any time he posted prospect rankings, team rankings, what he thought should be on an all-star ballot, he would even promote it himself and say, hey, look, this is why I hate your team. So mm-hmm. really, it's multiple fan bases that who, who believe Keith Ball hates their team for whatever reason. So I, I, I don't believe there's a vendetta against the Orioles, my my initial thought when I saw his ranking of 18th, I laughed a little bit because I, was, I figured, oh boy, Twitter's going to blow up over this one. Oh yeah. But but honestly, when, when you have him on, I'm, I'm genuinely curious to, to, to hear his thought process, to, to hear his reasoning behind things, because really, if he doesn't think everything is all sunshines and, and, and rainbows and uh, in baby bird land, then uh, I'm, I'm open ears because he wants to get their hopes up. Yeah, and on a personal level, as someone who wants to break into scouting and and make a career out of it, um, one of the biggest things that they they taught me in the the scout school course that I took out in Arizona was, you know, have confidence in your own rankings. Don't let others' opinions change the way you look at a certain player. If you see something, stick with it. Go with your gut. Don't let outside influences take over and and affect your rankings. And I, I have to I have to say I I applaud Keith Law for not uh, conforming with the rest of with the opinion of the rest of the league whether or not he's correct yeah Tyler made a good point on Twitter today too he said Law had them either last or second to last two years ago so they've moved up a ton of spots in his rankings I still think 18 is low but there is a very good point to have the Orioles outside the top 10 especially if you're not a big believer in big pitching problems and especially if you're not a believer in the pitching depth, then all of a sudden you're looking at Adney and then a bunch of question marks. Yeah. And, and let's look back at, at, you know, the Orioles farm system in recent years. And, you know, 
the last the last 10 or 15 years. There have been prospects who were highly touted by some who just completely did not work out as as expected. And, you know, and they had similar hype to the guys we have in the system now. I think the difference is at this point we have reason to actually believe that the organization won't screw them up. But at the same time, five years down the road, if 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 Grayson Rodriguez is a, a three or a four starter, DL Hall is is struggling to to keep a spot. Adley Rushman is giving us Matt Weiders level production. Not that Weiders was bad, but if that's the case in a few years, Law looks kind of smart with with his current rankings. Isn't that true? Oh, absolutely, one hundred percent. I mean, people can go back and forth on whether or not Weiders was a bust. No, he wasn't a bust. It, absolutely it, it, not. If, if, if you draft a guy in the first round or any round for that matter and, and he produces at a major league level in any capacity, that's not a bust. And he goes to four well, all-star games for you. Exactly. And if, uh, but by Weeders not reaching the level that people expected him to be, people automatically label that a bust. So, I mean, were there disappointments with Weeders? Yes. And I've been very disappointed with Weeders. Doesn't make him a bust, but if you're not leaving, putting up that level that people expect you to perform at, all of a sudden things aren't looking as as great as you hope to be. Yeah, I want to kind of pick your thoughts, Ryan. I would say Rushman and Grayson are two of the best prospects the Orioles have had in the last, at least since we've been alive, outside of Manny Machado. I, I can't think. I think Grayson's the best Orioles pitching prospect. That's a, uh, yeah. That's that's a fair assessment. I I, I believe he is as well. Uh, we also thought that with Dylan Bundy and Kevin Gosman. That's, we we, that's we the issue. Good, yeah, absolutely. I Grayson has. I think Grayson has more potential than either of those two pitchers. Possibly, but it's 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 easy to say that in hindsight. I think at the time we all thought Gosman and Bundy were going to be one and two. Like I, like I said a minute ago, the difference now right. is we have reason to believe that we can properly develop Grayson Rodriguez. Yeah, we thought Gosman and Bundy would be one and two, but did we think – maybe Bundy a little bit. Did we think they'd be clear-cut, you know, Cy Young all-star type pitchers every year? Like a lot of people believe that. I mean, oh. Bundy was a top three prospect in all of baseball. Yeah, Bundy maybe. Bundy maybe. I don't know. I just I feel like those are guys that you know. That, and I, I'm going to keep coming back to this point, but the the big reason that we're so high on this farm system is because of the player development staff that we have in place, and because we've seen guys like Dean Kramer and Keegan Aiken come up and pitch very well. We've seen guys like Ryan Mountcastle make adjustments in the minor leagues, come up and tear the cover off the ball while playing solid defense, which was the big question mark on his way up. There's genuine reason to believe. You know, we all had the pipe dream that that Dylan Bundy was going to be an ace and Kevin Gosman was going to be a number two right behind him, and that they were going to be two of the best pitchers in baseball for the future of the Orioles. Now we actually have a reason to say, yeah, I think the Orioles are going to turn Grayson Rodriguez and DL Hall into frontline starters, and that's 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 my point with that. But um, that's a good segue into. Uh, Teasing another guest that I'm interviewing on Monday night, Orioles Director of Player Development, Matt Blood. Um, big thank you to Kaylee Adams, Orioles PR, for helping me hook that up. 
we're still working on Sig Dell. I'm still, I still have my fingers crossed. I'd love to get him on the show, but uh, I'm going to have a chat, a chance to chat with Matt Blood next week. Um, I'll probably post the Keith Law interview first because that's a more pressing issue with his recent rankings. Uh, but I'm very excited to talk to Matt Blood. Uh, what are, what are some things that, that you two personally would, would like to know from, from his perspective? Uh, for me, really, the one pressing question would really be, how much is it really hurting your farm system having to go through the 2020 season with no in-game action? I mean, you, you had your own, you know, site at Bowie where you had all your top prospects and everything there, and you're doing your own inter-squad scrimmages and everything, but, but really, how did the loss of the season really impact the development of, of all these prospects in the system? Danny? Yeah, so I have a question kind of like Dylan's, right? Um, but it's more to do with this year. And how are the Orioles going to evaluate where to put, assuming there is a minor league season? Where do you put these guys? Do they go back to the level they played in last year? Or is it going to be more case by case? Are they going to look at, let's say, some of the guys who are at the uh, alternate side? So you know what? You're ready for double A, even though you were in Aberdeen last um, time there was a minor league season. So I'd be interested to see how the Orioles plan on assigning the minor players. But also, a second question. We've heard about how the Orioles have expanded their technology, especially with pitchers. And I think SIG um, has touched on this a little bit, but how are they helping out their hitters? What technology are they bringing in to help develop their hitters? We know the Astros are really big on this, right? So are the Orioles following suit? Are they bringing in some more technology to help the hitters get better? Yeah, I, th- I think those are both strong questions. Um, me personally, uh, this this is this will be year two uh, with Matt Blood in charge. He he took over after the 2019 season as director of player development, so he has not. The Orioles have not played a minor league game uh, under his uh, his reign. I guess I guess I would say, um, and one thing I want to ask him is, and this this is a question that just popped into my mind today when I was at work. Um, I was uh, my second training game after the the Pat Vileka four hit game was uh, it was a Shane Bieber ten strikeout game, a, a just random Twins Indians game from from August of last season. And uh, the I was listening to the announcer during the game, and he made a very good point that, um, and this this is a common thought across baseball, but every pitcher that the Indians have have developed has turned into a stud, whether it's Shane Bieber, Mike Clevenger, Tristan McKenzie, Zach Plesak, Aaron Savali, Corey Kluber even. He was a little older, but the, the list goes on. And there's plenty of prospects in that system to like as well. Um, and, and I'd like to ask Matt, um, you know, what do you take from an organization like that? What can you learn from how the a team like the Indians or, or look at the, the Nationals or the, the Los Angeles Dodgers, any team uh, that, that has had success in that department? What do you learn from other teams, and how do you apply that into our own organization? And uh, I'd, I'd be curious to know, um, you know, if he if he has his own opinions on that, or if or if he does try to learn from what what other successful clubs are doing. I think that'd be a good discussion. Mm-hmm. All right, shall we uh, talk a little bit about? Danny brought this up in our in our chat earlier. Uh, you want to talk about a prospect outside of your top ten that you think uh, should is deserving of more hype? 
Yes. Go ahead. What you got? All right. This is not going to be surprising to you two because I talk about it all the time. But for those listening, Blade Knight. I love Blade Knight. I think he's going to be a fantastic middle reliever for this team. <laughs> absolutely should be number 30 on these top 30 lists. The guy was a guy knows how to pitch. He may not have great stuff, but he shows he knows how to pitch in Arkansas. He won big games. He's got like average stuff and can get some guys out on the field. What has he done since uh, he was drafted by the Orioles, Danny? Um, doesn't matter. (laughs) Every year. Blaine Knight's awesome. And he's he's going to be a stud middle reliever by like 2025. (laughs) Assuming he can stay healthy. I don't have Blaine Knight in my top 30, but if he turns out to be a stud middle reliever, I will give you all of the credit that you deserve. Thank you. Yes, I don't have a top absolutely. 30 regardless. That's that's fair. Dylan, what you got? Uh, for me, a lot of people may not agree with me on this, but I've, I've been on him for a couple of years since he was drafted now, and I really hate that he missed out on the 2020 season. But mine's Adam Hall. So... I <laughs> see Danny's head dropping right now. <laughs> oh. Danny knows I've been talking about Adam Hall forever now. He's got a solid glove at shortstop. I do think he could stick at shortstop. If not, he could be a solid utility infielder. Got great game-changing speed, just like we talked about with Jemai Jones. He's stolen over 50 bases in, in his short minor league career so thus far. I mean, in both of, I, I know it doesn't mean as much in the minor leagues, but in 2018 and 2019, he had a weighted runs created plus of at least 124 in each season. I know he's more of a uh, singles and gaps to gaps hitter. He's not going to put a lot of power in the lineup, but I see a future of at least a solid utility infielder. Hey, Ryan. Yes. Is Adam Hall the fourth or fifth best shortstop prospect in the Orioles system? I would put him at sixth or seventh, personally. <laughs> no, that's that's not entirely true. But uh, yeah, that's that's a bold take from Dylan there. I I don't I don't see Hall as anything more than a four A 4A kind of player. Um, but you know, like you said, he, he's if he can develop some of that gap to gap power and maybe turn it into a few home runs and and keep his his on base skills there. We might be working with something. Hey, Danny, uh, where does Blaine Knight rank among the right-handed pitchers in the organization? <laughs> doesn't matter. His name's Blaine Knight, okay? Do, do you have him fourth, fifth, or 14th, or 15th? Uh, it doesn't matter. Hang on. Let me, let me look down my rankings. We've got uh, <laughs> Grayson Rodriguez, Dean Kramer, Bowman. Uh, That's another right-handed pitcher. Um, yeah, I've, I've got him about 12th. Well, it's going to be great in 2025 when I remember this conversation and I text both of you. Go, hey, look, Wayne Knight just got a major league hitter out in the fifth inning. Told you. <laughs> Actually, that's that's not true. Blaine Knight is 11th because uh, Gray Fenter was was picked up by the Chicago Cubs uh, in the, the uh, five draft. Back in <laughs> I I really hope so. I think he will. Uh, but I'm I'm a big Gray Fenter guy. He's the, he's if he was with the organization, he would have been the guy that. I, I call is the one who deserves more hype. But um, lo and behold, he was he was taken by the Cubs in what I thought was a shocker. He hasn't pitched above Delmarva 
So I was I was surprised to see him go. But uh like you said, Dylan, I think I think he'll be back. Um now on the, the topic of younger guys, uh the Orioles signed seventeen international prospects uh just a few weeks ago. Um and one of which Michael Hernandez, probably the most exciting of the group. Um but a good sign that the Orioles are finally uh diving into the international market and signing players that um you know they've they have relationships with um and I, I think Kobe Perez is is doing a fantastic job. But I'll I'll start with you on this one, Dylan. Um what's what's your take on the Orioles finally finally acknowledging that there are good baseball players in the foreign market? It's it's enlightening to see that the Orioles just signed Manny Machado, uh, Michael Hernandez. I'm sorry, <laughs> Manny Machado to 2.0 here. Um, but uh, no, it, it's it's been too long of a time coming. I mean, it, it's been shown all throughout baseball that this is the way that you have to sign guys, develop guys at a young age from outside from the international in the international market, and the Orioles have just refused to do so for so long. I mean, granted. You know, not that long ago, they went out and got Jonathan Scope, but that was like the highest they would ever go for, yeah. for, for international market. I mean, we, we, we thought that there was a pro, uh, a possibility of of uh, of Homer Reyes becoming a thing as a as a third or first baseman, and he was quickly showing up on top five prospects list for the Orioles, and then quickly dropped off because the only tool he had was power, and then he wasn't hitting for power, but. And, and they just figured, you know, we, we got one, we got a couple, and and they're not doing too well. So, nah, this doesn't work. Let's just sell all this. Let's just sell all the money away and and trade all the money away. This doesn't work. So it's really a bright spot to see that Michael Elias has been able to come in and really preach this as a thing that needs to happen in order for the Orioles to be successful down the river. I mean, we're we're seeing so many successful guys in the major league, some of the top talents in the game have come from the international market. Yes, does it take many years to develop these prospects? Yes, but it's totally worth it. So, and it's it's going to take time for them to continue to develop more relationships because it takes years to build those, but this is a clear step in the right direction, guys. It just demonstrates the organization's commitment to building a winning team, right? And they're finally not playing with one hand tied behind their back with most of the other teams infused with talent from all over the world, where the Orioles for years were only supplying their farm system via the draft, you're, you're playing with one hand tied behind your back. So it's good to see they're finally committed to fully embracing and finding talent from all over the place, which gives you, gives you a fighting chance. Yeah, I feel like we were finally invited to the party. Um, you know, we see guys like Ronald Acuna and Juan Soto and these these studs across Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, and it it seems like I I feel like Squidward in that the meme where he's watching Patrick and SpongeBob <laughs> dancing, uh, and he's he's stuck behind those bars. Um, but we can finally dance around with them because we're 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 in this market now. And and like you both have said, I mean, it's a it's an enormous step in the right direction. It shows a commitment to building a winning team. And um, hopefully we'll have a guy like like a Soto or a Tatis. Uh, maybe Michael Hernandez will be that guy. Maybe Samuel Basala will be that guy. Maybe it'll be one of the others we sign. Maybe it'll be a guy we pick up next year. Who knows? But, um, you know, especially after 
years of just trading away that money and then being maybe tied to Victor Victor Mesa and then he signs with the Florida Marlins instead the Miami Marlins instead um it feels like we're finally involved and it's 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 super exciting to be part of that market and and I couldn't be happier that we're finally showing a true interest in in international prospects let's just hope that uh that we don't spend all these years developing Michael Hernandez and then end up flipping him for James Shields Ugh. Yes, I'm throwing shade Chicago White Sox. <laughs> okay, how could you do that? That would that would be heartbreaking. Uh, or or developing a guy like Juan Soto on your fantasy team and then trading him for uh, Noah Syndergaard <laughs> and Joey Votto. Hey, who won the championship that year? Okay, you won the championship, but who has Juan Soto on his team now? <laughs> you know what? I, I I can't be talking crap. You've won two out of our our three seasons, so good on you for trading Juan that. Soto for for Syndergaard and and Joey Votto and and Brad Hand and Tyler Anderson. Thanks, man. I love that I'm not in this fantasy league because I get to enjoy it from the outside and make fun of you both. <laughs> I've, I, I will say I've swung a couple deals that I think make me uh, the odds-on favorite to uh, to take home the title this year. And uh, Danny, you've got that face. I'm coming for you, man. I'm coming for you. I'm returning my entire lineup. That's great. Who had the best lineup in the league last year? How are you going to keep that lineup when you have, like, eight aces? Oh, I, I, I have a plan. Oh, I have a I have a five-man outfield. I have four starting infielders and uh, and, and seven, seven pitchers. All my relievers are minor league eligible, so I can throw them in a minor spot. They don't count as keepers. James listen, Karinchek, Josh Stallman, Hunter Harvey, going to lead me to the promised land. All right, you say that. Good luck. No, we'll, we'll see. I'm not going to count my chickens before they hatch. I was four points away from the championship. Do you, oh, that's that's still gonna haunt me. I traded, and I, I I don't think I've mentioned this on the show. In 2019, I thought I was gonna be competing for the title. And Dylan, I'm not sure if you even know this. I think I've mentioned it on Twitter once or twice. Um, so I I was in win now mode, right? I was like, my team is good. I'm going for the title this year. Um, I had uh, Jack Flaherty. And he was off to a bit of a rough start. Now, I love Jack Flaherty. I've loved him uh, even before that. Um, but he wasn't doing it for me. He, he wasn't racking up points in, in his starts that I needed him to. Um, Colin, uh, my, my league mate, our league mate, had uh, Matthew Boyd, who was off to – and it, this was a points league. So a guy who even right. – a couple homers now and then, but he'd strike out 10 to 12 guys just about every outing. Uh, he was off to a really good start. Um, again, I'm in, I'm in win now mode. I needed a guy like who was producing like Boyd as opposed to someone who was uh, frustrating me like Flaherty. So I traded Jack Flaherty and Jared Kelnick for Matthew Boyd and Luis Robert. Now, we eventually flopped Robert and Kelnick back, so I, I have Kelnick again. Um, but... Man, I, and, and so then the kicker is, uh, the rest of the season, Jack Flaherty was the best pitcher in the galaxy. Uh, Matthew Boyd had like a 570 ERA the rest of the way and forgot how to strike batters out, was giving up four homers a start. It was a, a mess. And, uh, I lost in the championship by four points to the guy I traded Jack Flaherty to. So you know you, you know what I'm really picturing right now, Ryan. After you just told me that incredibly sad story right now, 
is the photo I took of you at Camden Yards with you in the fetal <laughs> position when Zach Britton was on the verge of, of blowing his perfect season before Michael Bourne and Manny Machado saved the day. Yeah, no, that was uh, one of my one of my one of the better pictures of me uh, because yeah. you can't see my face. Um, but yeah, that's that's a great. You shared that a few times now on on and, social media. I'm, I'm pretty sure I tweet that photo every time I find out it's your birthday every year. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, Danny's birthday was uh, yesterday. Happy birthday! What are you now? Thirty-three. Sure. Happy birthday, sir. I don't remember. Oh, man. <laughs> Happy birthday. Uh, thank Thanks. you for joining the podcast. Dylan, thank you as well. Uh, I, I'm not sure I have any more uh, concrete talking points, but we could go on for hours. Danny, do you want to make uh, fun of Carson Wentz a little bit more? <laughs> I mean, he's not really going to be on the Eagles anymore, so we, we can make fun of other players on that football oh, team. He, oh, he, he very well could be on the Eagles because uh, according to the last reports is that the – Eagles are holding out for two first-round picks. I, that, yeah, I saw that, uh, that too. That's just laughable. Look, you already got an offer on the table from the Bears of one first-round pick and two players. I'm like, that, that, that sounds like okay. Who, like, would you rather have Carson Wentz or Mitch Trubisky? Uh, I'd rather not watch football. Speaking, of, speaking of five I mean, quarterbacks, they're worse than Carson Wentz. I mean, it now it depends. Am I getting a happy Carson Wentz or a Carson Wentz that doesn't want to talk to Howie Roseman? I'll, I'll if, give it's you a, the, if it's a Wentz that, that, that's actually happy to be here, I'll take my chances with Wentz. That's fair. He he has shown in the past that that he can lead the team in in a strong direction, uh, but it it took Mr. Nick Foles to to actually get them over the hump. But he he was having a fantastic season up until then. He was having an MVP caliber year. I'm not going to say he would he would have won the MVP, but he was in the top three that year. He was having an MVP caliber year. And I'm just going to say this. Everyone says Nick Foles won the Super Bowl. Damn straight he did. Absolutely he did. But if Nick Foles was the starter that entire season, Eagles don't stand a chance even getting there. Yeah. No, I, I'm with you there. Um, one last thing I did want to talk about, and Dylan, you, you brought this up earlier. Um, if we were allowed into Camden Yards right now, or no, Danny brought this up, or I don't remember, one of you did. How many crab mac and cheese dogs could you eat right now? Two hundred. That's yeah. I think you're undershooting it a little bit. <laughs> but oh man, I I miss those. Uh, you can get them at Stuggies though. Stuggies is still a thing, right? I don't no, know. I, I live in I, Allentown, I, Pennsylvania I now, so I, I'm not sure. I've only ever had them while I'm enjoying an Orioles baseball game. Yeah, that's that's the novelty of it. Well, we um, only have two more years left, so. Two more years left of oh at Camden Yards. Yep. Come on now, that's a whole that's a whole other discussion, man. Here's a new concrete talking point, Ryan. <laughs> do we do we want to talk about the Orioles having a new two year lease at Camden Yards? Do we? Want to talk about how that might be the end of the Orioles at Camden Yards? Do we want to pump that content out like we're Nestor Aparicio? <laughs> Go for the clicks. <laughs> I, I hate name dropping people uh, like that. But, uh, what a mess. No, the and I've 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 said this many times on the show before. I'm sure I'll say it many more times. The Orioles aren't moving to Nashville. They're not leaving Baltimore anytime soon. We have one of the best stadiums in the game. I wish I could say we had a strong fan base to keep people around, but people don't show up to games. 
But um, regardless, King Felix will bring his court. Yes. Where where will where will King Felix's court be? In Seattle, it was Section 34. The problem is Section 34 at Camden Yards. Those are the eighty dollars seats on a non prime game. Uh, I say just put it underneath the jumbotron. I say right center field underneath the jumbotron. I can get behind that. Yes, but that's for flags, not kings. We can make a revision real quick. I I will say this. Flag court four out of the five nights a week, and when King Felix starts, it turns to King's court. I can I can get behind that. I I I just I love walking on. I, I feel like if well you're right, it would only be every fifth day if he makes that many starts. Exactly. Turn all the flags out there instead of it being lined up for the nice ALE standings up there in the flags. You turn all the flags to crowns for one night a damn rotation start. And I, it, th- this is making me just think about how much I, I miss uh, mingling through a crowd of people trying to get a good view of, of the field up on the flag court. I, I yearn for those the return of those days. I, I yearn for the return of a King Felix 90-mile-per-hour fastball. <laughs> He's only 34. You talk about a reclamation project. It's, in, it's insane. It's insane. And, hey. 34 is a, is a good number for – it's going to be a good year for King Felix. Let's he might not hit 90 miles an hour, but he might be a trade piece as well. Let, let me ask you this about, about King Felix. Let's say he comes out and has another really bad year with the Orioles this year and Very then retires. Awesome. Is he a Hall of Famer? <sighs> no. Danny with a very quick no, he didn't shaking have, of the head no. Not, not long enough. Now, now is the question – is he a Hall of Famer, or will he deserve to get in the Hall of Fame? Because really, nowadays, we don't know who the hell is going to get in the Hall of Fame based on who deserves it and who doesn't. That is fair. Because, so, the, voting, because, because the, the voting system and the people who actually have a right to vote, it's, it's garbage. All of it's garbage. Oh, it's a mess. Barry Bonds should have been in first ballot 10 years ago. Roger Clemens mm-hmm. should have been in first ballot. Kurt Schilling, talk about his his character all you want. He's he's a Hall of Fame baseball player. Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. We'll I think Felix so, yeah, should be in the Hall of Fame. Sorry, guys. Um, Felix Hernandez's peak really only lasted about five years, and that is that long enough? I don't think that's long enough. If Patrick Mahomes retired today, would he be a Hall of Famer? No. Why not? You watch the Super Bowl? No, I'm just kidding. No, you have to, you have to play. You have to have uh, longevity. You've got to sustain success. If Mike Trout retired <laughs> for, right now. For how long? Because Calvin Johnson was the first ballot. Yeah. Calvin Johnson was the best receiver in the league for, what, eight, ten years? Yeah, Did you see over the, 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 the same amount of time span? Of, of pretty much games and everything, Antonio Brown is better than Calvin Johnson in almost every category. Yeah, that blew my mind. You saw that earlier today as well? Yep. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Antonio Brown's a pretty good football player. He is. It, 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 it still blew me out of the water to see that those stats. Antonio Brown has done everything wrong the past two years, and he just got a Super Bowl ring. I don't understand. <laughs> 
anyway, this, wrong. <laughs> literally everything. Anyway, this is a this is a baseball podcast. As much as I enjoy football discussion, and uh, it is uh, approaching ten o'clock. I have to edit this before I go to sleep. I am absolutely exhausted because I have a new nine to five job, and it is kicking my butt because I can never fall asleep at a reasonable time. Uh, so I'm gonna go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, thank you both again very much for joining me. I will uh, do my little outro music, I guess. Um, and I, I already teased a couple upcoming guests, Keith Law, Matt Blood, uh, also going to be talking to uh, former Orioles broadcaster Jim Hunter as well as current Orioles broadcaster and perhaps Hunter's um, successor, Kevin Brown. Uh, so I'm very excited for all four of those interviews. Uh, Danny and Dylan kicked off a very strong run that uh, hopefully this podcast will have uh, leading up to the season. And uh, I, I very much appreciate you guys doing this with me tonight. Uh, Danny, you, you looked like you were about to say something. I was just gonna, I'm going to tell you guys later how I think uh, Kyle Stowers is a top 10 Orioles prospect. Oh, no. Let's do it. <sighs> Dylan, Danny, thank no, you both very much. Do you, do you guys want to plug anything? I should no, give you the opportunity. What's that? Do you, do you guys want to plug anything? I feel like I should give you a chance to, uh, if you, Danny is a teacher. You want to plug your, your, your lectures? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> and I won't have anything to plug for another few months and then I could start giving father tips on the podcast. Yeah. Dylan, Dylan has life things happening. We're, we're both, we're both very pumped for you. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. All right, we'll be back uh, next week. Thank you all for tuning in. As always, thanks to Derek and Tony at Utah Street Report for hosting the pod. We'll catch you later.